that uh, song um, hits a little deeper today. Uh, many of you, many of you know, if you were here last week or kind of been following our family a little bit, and if you're new, sorry, uh, you're welcome to be here. We're glad you're here, and we want you here next week and the following week, and we want to welcome you into our church family. Um, uh, but if you are uh, new, this is kind of news to you. Um, but uh, my family's grieving at this time. Um, my uh, wife lost her father suddenly and unexpectedly last Saturday. Um, and uh, well, the reason I say that this song kind of hits um, is because uh, a month, about a month or so leading up to my father-in-law's death, he had been humming that song and whistling that song over and over again. And I didn't plan worship, and I didn't, like, I've pretty much been absent all week. Um, just kind of showed up this morning, and, and uh, Carrie planned worship this morning, and she ended the worship set with that song. And uh, it's true, God is good, and he's, he's been good to us. And I, I want to thank you all for, for your love and your support, your prayers, text messages, everything that you guys have sent us and done for us. Uh, we are blown away uh, by, by all of that. And uh, to, to have that in a time like this when you, when you feel loved and supported and uh, appreciated, uh, it means a lot means a lot to our family. Uh, it means a, a lot to Emily. Our, our, our family lost, we lost a really good and godly man. Uh, somebody uh, to look up to, uh, somebody to admire, somebody that we were inspired by, somebody who cared really well uh, for his family, for his church family. He was just a, an incredibly hard worker and good husband and dad and grandfather. And so people ask how we're doing. Um, I'll, I'll tell you how we're, we're doing, um, and this is not to, not to bring anybody down, um, but this is also to give you permission when you lose people that you love or when you lose significant people in your life. I'll just tell you, we're sad. Uh, we're disappointed, uh, disoriented. Um, I've been very blessed. I have, I've lost grandparents as an adult and as I've gotten older, and that, that, that is and kind of seems kind of the natural order of things. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, to, to lose somebody that seemed healthy, that seemed um, like they wouldn't pass anytime soon, I guess, in, in our eyes, it's, it hits you, and it hits you hard. Uh, but one of the things that we are doing as we're mad, uh, sad, disoriented, and all of that is we aren't without hope. Uh, my father-in-law knew the Lord, uh, and that was evident by the way that he lived his life, and who he was, and um, we, I actually took a picture, I had to do part of the eulogy, and um, took a picture of the people there, I mean, the sanctuary was standing room only, and we had overflow rooms, uh, you, could, you could see that, and it made you think about what kind of person, and what kind of man that you wanted to be, what kind of legacy that you wanted to leave, and I, I know we had people leave that, thinking about that, and that's a, a really, uh, it's a good thing, it's a powerful thing, um, you know, I hope all of you outlive all of your friends, uh, but um, <laughs> we don't know if we will or not. But what I'm thankful for is the love and support that we have received. And, and so thank you, even Jordan back here. He watched, he watched part of the eulogy, he told me, uh, a few moments ago. And uh, what an incredible thing to even, to even do. Um, and so many of you have, have been kind of just pouring out your love for us. And as, you know, we got these new T-shirts this morning. 
here. They, they have our mission on it, uh, to love God, uh, to love people, which you all have done, um, and to make disciples. That's who we want to be. And we want to be producing those kinds of people. And we have felt that and that we are, are seeing the fruit of that. And that is a, a wonderful thing. You know, a lot of churches, their goals and primarily kind of the things that they measure. And sometimes it's hard to measure. Like, you can't really always, like, measure if somebody loves God or not. Um, there's not, like, a meter. I don't have a wand. So, like, come up here. Let me check and see, like, if you love God. And, and loving people, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, like, it's just, you just have to do it. And people just kind of know if they're loved or not. They, they, and, and we do those in tangible ways when we can. I mean, none of you can, you can't, you can't bring my father-in-law back. Like, you can't, you can't do any of that. There are things that we can't do to, to always heal people's hurts or, or pains, but we can let them know that we love them in our own way. We can do small things for them in, in, our, in our own ways and all of that, and we've been seeing you do that. I watched my wife's church, family's church do that. What a beautiful thing. It's kind of one of the... It's kind of one of those things. I just wish I could have recorded everything for everybody who badmouths the church. Like, man, I wish you could have saw. I wish you could have seen how they reacted and surrounded her. But they, they did that because he was he was also really he was active in the church. Like, like people knew him. He was there for other people when things happened, and and and, and it's just really cool because you saw a man who was raised to know Jesus and decided that he was going to follow Jesus, which really is the third part of our mission, is to make disciples. And I want you to hear that because our mission is not to make converts. Like, and don't get me wrong, you, you really need to be converted to Christ. Like we're, and in that sense, it's like not to baptize. We have, we have goals, by the way, that we want to baptize so many people. We think that we have a particular amount of reach, so we want to baptize so many people. We baptized 23 or 21 so far this year. We're, we had baptismal classes this morning. Like we, we want to do all of that, and we want to be about that because God has, and Christ has called us to do that. He says, you know, he goes, he says, go make disciples baptizing. So there's an assumption that we're going to be baptizing people as they come to know Christ, but the, the, the primary command is to make disciples. Well, who are disciples? Disciples are people who are actively following Jesus. Disciples are people who are committing their lives. They're not just being converted, but they're coming out up out of the water, and they're saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to be taught how to follow Jesus, but more than that, it's, it's what it looks like to have kind of a life transformed. Jesus, he, he tell, he's just, there's this crazy teaching that he has where he basically tells us that we shouldn't let our uh, left hand know what our right hand is doing. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes absolutely zero sense. Unless you become the type of person who does the things Christ would have you to do without even realizing you're doing it. That's our goal. That's really what it means to follow Jesus, is that you, you become like Jesus, that you begin to be transformed into his likeness because you have given your life to him, and you just start following him. You, you don't really even have to ask the question, like, what would Jesus do? You just do the things that he would do, because that's the type of person you are. I'm not saying you shouldn't ask that question. You should continue to ask that question, especially maybe if you're in the dark on something. But that's, that's, that's our goal. I think about my father-in-law or men like him, and 
you think about a, a great man or a great woman. And what I'm convinced of is great men and great women, they're not born, they're made. And, and so as, as a church, we have to think about that. Like, how, how, do we, how do we help people to be transformed into Christ's likeness? And how do we commit to that? And I believe one of the ways that that happens is in the midst of the church. It, it, it's in community, and that's why we, that's why we have Catalyst Communities. You had Catalyst Community training last week, and maybe you need to join one. You need to get around some Christians. You need to get around some people that are, are, are pursuing Christ together, and that's a, a great way to kind of get your, your feet wet a little bit and, and to get, it, get with some people, um, especially if you're looking for community and looking for a place to connect. Uh, this morning, I'm training discipleship groups. Discipleship groups, they are uh, even smaller groups than Catalyst Communities, they're like man-to-man, woman-to-woman, anywhere between. We prefer three. We don't, want, we don't really want one-on-one. We prefer three. You seem to be discipled in groups better uh, uh, than just one-on-one, and so you do better off typically if you have three and less than six. And uh, we'll, we'll train in that, but basically those are accountability groups. You're going to get in a Bible study. Um, you're going to be studying something together, and you're going to be asking how you're doing man-to-man, woman-to-woman, and uh, I train on that after this. And I do that because I think... I think it's really important for us if we're going to grow uh, into the people that God has called us to be. And then um, if you're here this morning, uh, 21 days ago, we started 21 days of prayer and fasting. And many of you have entered into that and have been doing that and have given up something and replaced it with prayer. Uh, and uh, again, I thank you for all your, your prayers. Uh, but the point of that is it's, it's transformation. It's time to get with God, to get in, in front of God and his presence and his power and allow him to transform you during that time as you focus on him. Our kind of primary verse or passage that uh, we were focusing on and looking at during this time was 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, and beginning in verse 14. I just kind of want to walk us through this as we get to kind of the meat of the message this morning. So 2 Corinthians, beginning in chapter 6, verse 14, uh, I'll end uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Paul's writing to the church, and he's saying this. He's saying, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Two weeks ago, I pointed out that there basically are three words here that all are kind of talking about a very similar thing, yoked partnership and fellowship. And I, I kind of teased out a little bit of what being unequally yoked looks like and does, but I want us to focus here on fellowship and just get a quick thought to it. Fellowship simply means association or partnership. And what Paul is saying here is that light and darkness, they just don't coexist. Like the light drives out the darkness. And when there is darkness, there's an absence of light. And so when we come together to fast or to pray um, or when we think about our life in general, like light and darkness can't coexist. We can't partner with both. God doesn't want us to partner any, in any way with darkness, but he wants his life and the light of his life to enter into us so that it will drive out the darkness. And part of coming between, before God in a time of prayer or fasting is to allow that light to drive out the darkness in our hearts. Then he goes on and says, what accord has Christ with Belial? Now, that's a weird word that we haven't heard a whole lot of or who maybe have never heard at all. But it is a Hebrew word used for Satan, and it's a description of Satan. 
And what it means is worthlessness. And so it's this word you, they use for Satan, and it's a characteristic of Satan, of worthlessness. And I'm, I'm pretty convinced, like, Satan works in all different types, types of ways in our culture, in our society, in our own lives. But if there's one way I think that he is currently working right now, it is getting us caught up in worthless, worthless activities. It is, giving, uh, is getting us dedicated to things that are worthless in our lives, or simply allowing us to spend a lot of time wasting our lives on things that do not matter. And so I think Satan is still at it in this way. And if you did pray and you were fasting from something, maybe you discovered during that time, whatever it was that you gave up, you still need it. You, you, you might just like just set it aside. I'm not adding this back to my life. It has, it has no value. It's not helping me. It's just kind of keeping me on this path of, 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 of worthlessness. And so he, he continues, and he says, Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. God dwells in you. And so what are you doing with your heart? What are you doing with your mind? What are you doing your, with your body that you don't want to do with God? As God said, and then what happens here is there's a series of Old Testament blessings tied to obedience that Paul kind of continues here. He says, I will make my dwelling place among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In other words, God wants to make his presence known. He, he, he desires to do that. We sometimes need to make space for him to do it. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separated from them. Don't do what everyone else does. Don't focus on what everyone else Focuses on, refocus yourself, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Let us refocus away from the things that are distracting us from the Lord, and let us focus. So let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing to holiness to completion in the fear of God. So what we see is that it's really important that we get our focus on the right things in our lives. You know, I titled this series Refocus because it's really easy kind of during the summer and different activities. You get your, your routine thrown off to basically not focus on the things that we need to focus on. And I believe one of the things that are really important to get focused and to think about is where our heart's at. And so a few weeks ago, I talked about some aspects of our hearts, and I want to talk about our hearts this morning, too, because Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, guard your hearts, for everything you do flows from it. That Jesus would go on to say, like, every, basically every evil and vile thing, murder, adultery, gossip, like, all of that, where does it come from? Jesus says it flows from your heart. And so Jesus wants us to make sure that our hearts and our minds and our spirit they're, they're in the right spot because you're never going to experience life as it's intended to, to experience if your hearts are not right. If your hearts are, are broken, if they're pointed in the wrong direction. And so this morning, I want to talk about just kind of one area of your heart. Uh, I had two, but I think this is going to be too long. And it almost sounds like two sermons. So <laughs> thank me later. One. One, and it's the area, and maybe um, 
you hold this in your heart of unforgiveness. Of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is really bad for your heart. And I think many of you know this or you feel it. Because during Easter, when we have the most time or the most people here, we, we took a survey and I just kind of asked, like, hey, what things do you, do you want me to hit or what things do you want me to talk about over the next year? And I'm just curious, like, what sort of things are you dealing with? And uh, the fourth uh, most requested subject for me to speak into was unforgiveness. Uh, you know, and I think about this, and, and I, I don't always know why. You know, you have to kind of guess about why people might want me to talk about unforgiveness. It could be because you're, you're like, you're dealing with it, and you know how much it, it hurts you. I've had people come to me before and just tell me, my heart is not right. There's so much anger. There's so much bitterness that I have. I'm unable to for, forgive this particular person, and they know they should do it, and, and maybe that's you, or, or maybe you simply know Jesus' teachings about it, which would really mess you up, because Jesus tells this parable about the unforgiving servant, and, and Jesus, in this parable, basically explains, like, you have no choice but to forgive. If you, you understand what I have done and who I am, like, you have no choice. Jesus is asked, how many, how many times should I forgive these people, Jesus? Point blank. And you know what, how Jesus answers? 70 times 7. In other words, like there's, there's like no limit to, to how many times you should forgive. You, 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 you need to become a forgiving person. And then the Lord's, there's the Lord's Prayer which will mess you up if you've been praying or during this time and, and you've been fasting and you decided to spend some time in the Lord's Prayer uh, when you are asked and you're praying that you would forgive others if you, you've, as you've been forgiven. And then you, if you actually keep reading the immediate teaching after the Lord's Prayer, you get this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, this is Matthew 6, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. So there's this, there's like this command and warning that, that comes from Jesus that if you don't forgive and you can't forgive, God hasn't forgiven you, which is a crazy thing to think about. Well, that's before, right, Jesus died. Well, what, what does Paul teach? What does the rest, like what do early Christians teach following Jesus. They essentially teach the same thing. In Ephesians 4, verse 31 through 32, we're told this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from among you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And so what we see here is both Jesus and people like Paul, I mean, they're basically just commanding us to forgive. They're, they're telling us we have to, which in a real way, like if you've really been wronged, if you've really been hurt, it, it seems unfair uh, because, I mean, how can you really for just forgive somebody? I, I, I can't tell you, hey, you just have to forgive your wife or you have to forgive somebody if they've really wronged you or harmed you. But what we see here too with, with both Jesus 
and with Paul's that were also given the power to forgive. So I want to look at the command, and I want us to think about the command to forgive, and then I want to talk about the power. So we are commanded to forgive. Here's something I want you to think about. Why would Jesus do this? Why would his early followers, like Paul, say this? Here's one reason. is because the person who is harboring unforgiveness and bitterness and anger, that person is an unhealthy person. You, you know that. You know your heart is not right. You know your heart is not as it should be. And you know it's harming you. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Right? The one who wronged you or harmed you, right? they may be very sick. They may be very broken. I, I, personally, like, I don't throw this out like, casually. Like, I would not call somebody evil casually. But I still believe in evil. Like some things that have been done to you, just, just, just flat out evil and is wrong. Right? And also at the same time, like some people are just aloof. <laughs> like they've done something to you. Like they're not even thinking about it. Like they don't even, they don't even know they've done it. But you're, you're harboring bitterness and anger and unforgiveness towards somebody and they're, they're just living their life, right? But they're dragging you down with them. And so your heart needs work. Your heart needs work. Here's something I know uh, about unforgiveness. Here's something that it can do to you. It can control you. Think about that person, right, or those people. When you hear their name, what must you do? Do you have to slander them? Do you have to talk bad about them? Do all of a sudden you get e- e- emotional towards them? You're, you just you, you know you feel this hate in your heart. Your your character changes. You find yourself like when you, you're thinking about that person or around that person, you're you're not the person that you set out to be or that you wanted to be, and it might spill out into your other relationships. And you, you might be, right, intentionally not forgiving that person because you want to hurt them. Right? Like, just be honest about it. Like, I, and, you know, I've heard people say this, and I appreciate it. They're honest. Like, I, I can't forgive them. I want them to feel the pain of my unforgiveness in their life. But you're hurting yourself, too, when you do that. I've heard somebody say that unforgiveness is like setting yourself on fire and hoping the other person dies of smoke inhalation. It's harming you. And it creeps into so many different parts of your life. Um, you, You become the type of person who doesn't forgive. You think like, I just won't forgive this person. But, but really what it does is it, it makes you into an unforgiving person. Um, I, I would say, and I, I think one of my spiritual gifts is kind of the, 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 the spiritual gift of discernment. And so I, I'm not, I wouldn't say like I'm great at reading people, but I'm pretty good if I can sit down with you for a little while and kind of getting to know you 
that I, I can read you a little bit, um, listen to your story, all those sorts of things, um, kind of know who to trust, who not to trust a little bit. Maybe I could be completely wrong about that, and I'm the aloof person. Uh, but one of the things that I've been fairly careful about through the years is, like, I'm not going to get too close to people who can't forgive. You know, like, th- those people are really difficult to be friends with. And, in fact, you know, I probably have had one person and a couple in our lives where I recognize this in, but I'm like, hey, I'm, that's okay. You know, and sometimes you do that. Sometimes you, you're going to put yourself out there knowing that, that you could get hurt. And that's, that's, that's fine. I mean, as Christians, we can, we can handle a little bit of pain. We can handle sadness. We can handle a little bit of suffering. We can handle some relationships that are messy. That's, that's perfectly, perfectly fine. But the reason that is such a struggle is because you know the moment that you upset them, the, the moment you kind of get into their life and the moment you make a decision that they don't agree with or that they don't like or that if you feel like you really hurt your feelings, you, you, you kind of know you're going to be cut off because they can't forgive you. And I don't know about you, but I have this problem where I sometimes make people mad. <laughs> like, like, I don't always do what other people want me to do. Um, sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's really bad. But w- without a relationship where grace exists and where you can forgive, that, that relationship just probably isn't going to last real long or, or it's not going to go real deep. And to be honest, I'll just tell you straight up, like that, that couple and, and those people, when I made the decision to do something that they didn't want me to do, they stopped talking to me. We can become unforgiving people just by harboring unforgiveness in our lives. And I, I don't think anybody in here, like, that's not who you want to become. Like, that, that's not who you want to be. I mean, you don't want people holding you at arm's length because, you know what, I, I don't want to upset them because that's who they become. So it can be hard to become friends with people if you can't forgive. It can be hard to be in real relationships. So what do I want to lead us to this morning? I mean, it's, it's real simple. It, it's forgiveness. I, I want to lead you to some forgiveness this morning. I want you to, to not just focus on the people that you haven't forgiven. I want you to focus on the idea that you might be able to forgive those people. Because forgiveness is a choice. It is a choice. It's a difficult choice, but it is a choice that God gives us the power to make. We said that I can't just forgive someone and I can't make myself forgive. Well, that is, that is true. That is true. And you're right about that. And that is one of the reasons that Christ came. Christ came and he died on the cross to help you to forgive. He came to forgive you. And this is why I told you two weeks ago that we talk about sin. Uh, sin has kind of gone out of style a little bit to talk about but I think a lot of churches and a lot of Christians and just people, cultural, society in general, we've lost the ability to forgive because we no longer have the language that we need in order to help people to walk in forgiveness. And so we, we, we ha- Christians have this problem right now. And so what I want to remind us of this morning is that sin isn't just an affront against people. It is. Like, we are wronged by people, but it's actually... Sin is an affront against, against God. 
You see, God created us to be in a loving and obedient relationship with him, to, to partner with him, to fellowship with him, to be yoked to him, to be moving in the same direction that he is moving in for, for creation, in our communities, in our, in our church, in, in our lives. And basically what we all do is we all say that we're going to go our own way. I mean, we, we all do this. We all decide to do this at different times in our lives. And we become those types of people. One of my uh, son's um, vocab words was defiant. I'm like, well, that's a good word for a kid. Uh, any of you have kids, you know why, right? You know what to do, but you actively do the other thing, right? And another thing that if you're a parent, what you realize is that when your kids are constantly doing that, like, you cannot help but be wrathful towards them. <laughs> another word we don't like in the Bible. I'll just tell you, like, we don't like it, but, but you know why it's there, right? It, it's, you feel it. I never thought I would. Like, how much wrath I feel now on a regular basis. <laughs> but, but it's there, and it's not just because they're defying me, but because this is not good for you. Like, do you not understand? <laughs> Obviously not, because you're going to do it again in five minutes. <laughs> but, but the point is, is that, that God has every right to act that way towards us. Like, he has every right to feel that towards us and to act in wrath, to act in, like, to punish. David is a great example of this and how he teases this out in his own failures. Uh, David is king. He's king of Israel. He's considered a, a man after God's own heart and just fails massively. Uh, if, you, if you know the story of David, Uriah, and Bathsheba, you, you, you know what happens is, is that David should be out to war. He's the king. He should be leading his armies, protecting his borders, um, expanding, all these sorts of things. But he's, king, he's the king of God's kingdom is basically what he is. And he's, he's not out doing what he should be doing at the time. And he looks out from his rooftop and he sees a woman named Bathsheba bathing. Bath has nothing to do with bathing. Um, actually means daughter. Uh, but kind of, actually, I was wondering about the etymology of that, and I was thinking. But, but so he's, he, David is looking at Bathsheba. He knows Bathsheba is Uriah, Uriah's wife. Uriah is one of his primary commanders, uh, extremely faithful to, to David. And David sends for Bathsheba while she's bathing. And we all know why he's sending for somebody while they're bathing. Or you don't have good intentions at that point. Um, this is why Jesus tells us, too, like, not to, not to lust, because he lusted before the action happened. And so don't cultivate that. He says, protect your heart there. That's why Jesus talks about that. So David brings Bathsheba into his quarters. You, knows, you know what happens. She gets pregnant. David has to cover it up. So how does he cover it up? Well, he sends one of his best soldiers, the most loyal soldiers, to the front lines to be killed, essentially. Now, it seems that David is not even thinking twice about this. He's the king. It's his kingdom. She's a part of his kingdom. Then Nathan shows up. Nathan is a prophet to David. Nathan is somebody who speaks God's word to David, is helping to guide David to be king of what he thinks is his kingdom, but he really knows is God's kingdom. And Nathan essentially tells a story where David realizes that he had wronged Uriah and Bathsheba. By the way, which is a reminder that when we come to church, right, 
We, we don't always come to church so that the pastor can tell us how good we are. Right? Like, I love you. I want to encourage you. I'm tired of all the nihilism and like, hey, we can't do this or can't do that or constantly like, like feeling bad about ourselves or all, like, you need to be encouraged. <laughs> I'm not going to come. I don't want you to come just so you can be beat up. But every once in a while, you need, you need something prophetic. Like you, you need something that's like, oh, maybe I'm wrong. Like, maybe I messed up. Nathan brings this out in front of the king and shows him what he's done. And David realizes what he's done. Now, I want you to see one of the ways in which David responded to this. Here's what he says. This is David dealing with his sin. Psalm 51, verse 4. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And you here is God, by the way. Against God, God only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now, the point is not, the point, the, the point that David is making is not that he hasn't sinned against Bathsheba or Uriah. He has gravely sinned against them. Gravely sinned against them. This is, this is poetry here. So there's, there's, there's layers of what is happening here. But what David is clearly trying to show us is that he has sinned against a perfect and just God who cares deeply about Uriah and Bathsheba. Like, he hasn't just wronged Uriah and Bathsheba. He has wronged his creator. Uriah and Bathsheba get their worth and their significance from God. And David is recognizing that. And he has sinned against people who, have, who belong to God. He's a king, in charge of a kingdom, who understands that he is underneath a higher purpose and power. And ultimately, the person who judges him and will have the last say about his life and every action and every deed that he has done is a just and blameless God. So he's dealing with this. What do I do with this? What does God do with this? Now, you may have murdered no one. Hopefully you haven't. But it's likely that you have disobeyed God. It's likely that you have distorted his image. You have harmed his image bearers somehow. You know, the Bible tells us all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin, they're death. In other words, like we're, we're all defiant. We all deserve God's wrath. Every single one of us deserves God's punishment. All of us. And here's the beauty of the part of the gospel. I mean, it's, it's, it's like the central, one of the, the central part of it is that God forgives. 
is that God forgives, that he offers forgiveness, that he offers grace, which is both free and costly. It's costly in the sense is that it costs God something. It costs God someone. It costs God his son. I want to end here with just two passages, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, like, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to take a moment here when we get done with this to think about that person that you might not be forgiving and forgive them. First Peter 2.24, we're told this, he himself bore our sins. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Jesus died, taking on our sin on his body, on the cross, so that we might die to our sins and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed. So in other words, God offers Jesus on the cross all of our sin has been put on him, and any wrath or resentment or bitterness or punishment that we deserves, deserve, Christ has gotten. And what God offers you is forgiveness and free grace. The cross is the greatest act of forgiveness in human history. And it's more than just a symbol that we should wear around our necks or give to others or put on the top of our churches. The, the cross to each and every one of us should be a reminder of the power of God to forgive, but not only that, the power for us to forgive. That there's, this, there's, a, there's an expectation that we are to forgive the way that God forgives. We are to be Christ-like in that way. And if you understand how much you've been forgiven, like God, God gives us the power to forgive. It's something that he wants to give us. It's something that's there for us. You can, you can be free. You can be healed from unforgiveness if you understand that. In the book of Corinthians, which is where we started this morning, Paul puts it this way. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Our sins placed on him so that we might become the righteousness of of God. Now, for you theologians in the room, uh, you know there's some arguments around this text, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Like, is it imputed, or that we should become righteous like Jesus because of this? Let's say both this morning. <laughs> but I want to focus on the idea that we should be becoming like Jesus. Right. If God forgives us, right, we become like Jesus. We're going to stand before God, forgiven, in Christ. So now we walk like Christ, forgiving on behalf of God. And that's what it looks like for us to be healed. That's what it looks like for us to be whole. These are the type of people that God wants us to be transformed into, the type of people who can forgive, the type of people who can offer love. Now, I want you to see, too, as we look at this text, I am not asking you to look back on what's been done to you 
and say that was okay. That's not what's being asked. Jesus doesn't go to the cross and die to show us that he's cool with our sins, that he's cool with the brokenness in the world. When we look at Jesus on the cross, we see how horrible it is. We know it's bad. We know it's wrong. We know it's evil. But in return, Christ offers love. He offers grace. He offers forgiveness. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you this morning to do the same. And maybe that wound is it's deep. And so when we talk about refocusing this morning, focus on Christ. Ask him to help you. Ask him, ask him to help you forgive. Uh, maybe some of you, some of this, this is helpful to respond. We have a prayer wall over here. Write the name of the person that you've decided to forgive this morning or that you need help forgiving. On a piece of paper, you can put it in the relationship side or the healing side, praise, wherever it needs to go. Maybe it's somebody in the church that you need to forgive. Feel free to hop up during this last song and do that. We'll have people in the, the prayer cove here. Um, if you want personal prayer, uh, just kind of let them know, and uh, they will pray for you. Um, they'll be on one side or the other. If you just want to go to one of the couches, you can do that. You can light a candle. There's so many different ways to respond. But I, I ask that you don't uh, waste this moment, uh, that you use it uh, to forgive. Um, if you don't have anybody to forgive, praise God. Pray that you continue to be a forgiving person. Let us pray. Father, we give you praise and thanks this morning. We thank you for Jesus. He is the one who makes us whole. He is the one who heals us. He is the one who came and he died so that we might be forgiven. But he has risen from the grave, Father. And he has sent the Holy Spirit that I believe is alive and is moving in this room. And he is calling some of us to forgive. He is calling us a lot of some of us to maybe release hate, pain, and bitterness in our lives and to give it to you so that we might become the type of people that you would have us to be people who love truly, that offer grace truly, that are able to forgive. Help us to become those types of people. As we respond and sing and worship, Father, remind us of what Christ has done for us. We thank you for him. We love you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.